fitting in never really worked for me. Being a queer woman in a male-dominated workspace, you're sort of expected to just be one of the guys. I was expected to really fall in with the company line, even though that went against my integrity and my principles. No is a complete sentence, and one that I have learned to employ a lot over my career. What am I being asked to do? Am I comfortable with that? And if the answer is no, I'm not doing that. Welcome to The Art of Speaking Up a podcast that helps professional women access the limitless potential that lies within them. I'm your host, Jessica Guzik, and my mission is to help you find that spark inside you that has the power to transform your career in ways you may not have thought possible. I'm so excited that you're here. And now, on to the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Jess. I'm the host and creator of this podcast. I am also a career coach for women in the nine to five space. And today's interview is so juicy and it's so good. And I'm so excited for you to listen to it. I'm going to keep today's intro brief because this is a longer conversation and a really good one. So what I will say to you before I cut into it is this. You're going to hear a lot of different things being talked about, one of which is confidence. And I think often we think about confidence as this thing that just happens or a switch gets flipped or you learn some new tip and you try it out and boom, you're confident. And Today's guest, Mariana, when she spoke about confidence, it gave me chills. Like I had full body chills and I was like, yes, like this is it. And so much of what we talk about here, not all of the conversation, but so much of it is about the fact that confidence is this thing that happens over and over and over after you keep showing up for yourself enough times that you get to the other end of that and you realize that you've changed and you've realized that you're a different person and you're so much bolder and you're so much stronger and you're so much more resilient than you were before. And it is that staying in it and it is that willingness to stick with it and that willingness to be in a process where you can't always see your own growth that is the thing that gives you the confidence and that gives you that strength that you're looking for. And that is what stood out to me so much in this conversation, among other things. This is such a good one. I am so excited for you to listen to it. If you are new to the show, come join me in the private Facebook group. I will link it below. You can join the group. You can meet other women who listen to the show. And I'm in the group twice a week doing video trainings and sharing tips and tricks for you. So come join me there. I will link it below or go to Facebook and just search The Art of Speaking Up and you will find the group. And you can find all kinds of goodies and how to get in touch with me and lots of fun things in the show notes. So if you're thinking that you want more, check out my links down below. And with that, I'm going to cut into today's conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. My name is Mariana Barra-Dubois. I am the quality manager at a federally qualified health center right now. I'm in Boston, Massachusetts. It's been a bit of a twisty road to get here. I started pre-med in college and hated every moment of it. 
And I knew that the expectation was that I would go to medical school and become a doctor and marry a doctor and do all these different things. And I, somewhere along the line, decided I wasn't having any of it. But I'd fallen in love with a public health class that I took on the American healthcare system and how it compares to others and all of the different things that are wrong with it, which I thought was really incredible. So I, instead of going through with pre-med, I got my EMT card and became an emergency medical technician and started working on the ambulance to finish school. During that time, I finished, I did finish school, uh, graduated with my bachelor's in public health and ended up moving out to Buffalo, New York to and continue to work on the ambulance out there. I spent some time as the education coordinator, working on running CPR classes and annual trainings and different sorts of trainings like that. Got my paramedic after another year of very intense schooling and a lot of practice and switched companies and became the quality manager at a different company in the area. After four years of working there, uh, my wife and I moved to Vermont. Uh, they had just finished their bachelor's degree in sociology, so uh, we had many a conversation between uh, sociology and public health. And once we got to Vermont, I started working for a local hospital, um, working in quality improvement. I did a few different jobs there. After my wife passed away, I moved down to the Boston area and started up at the Qualified Health Center, where I am now, in a management position. So this is my third management position in my second different field, but all of them have been involved somehow with quality in healthcare. I love to talk about early careers. You have like so many things in your story, so I'm yes. just going to ask the question in general. <laughs> what were like one or two of the hard points in your career when you look at the full picture? A lot of it, I think, has really been getting to know myself and being comfortable with myself and showing up as myself. Fitting in never really worked for me. I've been out as queer for most of my life. I think I first came out when I was 13 years old. And having partners who were non-binary, who used different pronouns, who had different names in the course of our relationships was definitely something that brought some attention that I wasn't comfortable with. And also, I was a young, short female in a pretty male-dominated workspace. And while I could go toe-to-toe physically with almost anybody that I ever worked with, it took some time to, for people to take me seriously in my management roles. I was much younger. I had one paramedic once tell me that he had underwear older than I was. So why should he listen to me teaching him CPR? Ew. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Ew. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so much, so much gross. And I said, well, I hope you've changed it since then. And uh, CPR has also changed. So let's get to it. There's been uh, a lot of times where I've had to, I've been expected to prove myself. And in some ways, I've really had to do that or deliberately choose not to. And either way comes with its consequences, for sure. In one of my jobs, I was expected to really fall in with the company line and as the newest member of management do exactly what I was told in the way that I was told to do it, even though that went against my integrity and my principles. 
And when I first met one of my bosses, the first thing that he heard me say was, no, I'm not going to do that because we need to follow these guidelines and we need to obey these rules. No is a complete sentence and one that I have learned to employ a lot over my career. Mm. What would you say to someone who hasn't gotten to that place? I know that's a big struggle for a lot of people. It doesn't stop being a struggle. It's never something that sits incredibly comfortably, but when it feels a little awkward is almost when you know it's right. If anybody is ever asking you to go against what you know is right, what is against your principles, that's a really strong indication that you might not be in the right place or you might not be working with the right person at that time. And that's not an easy place to navigate at all. I have had the chance to work with a lot of young women over the course of my career. And it is, this is something that does come up a lot, is that I'm not comfortable saying no. And I think as women, we are often taught that the best way to get through anything is to acquiesce and to agree and go forward, even if it's not something that we agree with. It's not, it's not an easy thing. Yeah, I think you're speaking to something so important, though, when you say, well, it still is uncomfortable. It's not like it feels good, but you do it anyway. Because I think sometimes we can get stuck in this idea that it should feel easy and being a good leader and being confident means easy, smooth, comfortable all the time. And I'm constantly talking about how like, no, we have to learn how to be uncomfortable and feel bad. That is part of it. Yes. Sitting with that discomfort is one of the ways to really get to know yourself and get down to the root of who you are. Having the chance to do that in the workplace is a very, <laughs> it can be nerve wracking. Absolutely. You know, you meet, you meet this person who's wearing a three piece suit and carries their authority on their shoulders and they're six foot four and they're looking down at you while you're five foot three and sitting down and they're asking you to compromise your integrity and you say no. That's not comfortable, even though your heart knows it's right, your gut knows it's right, the rest of you is quivering and full of butterflies. There's no easy way around that. Even now, you know, I've been in that situation multiple times and I've had other, you know, situations where it's not comfortable for me. It's still necessary. And I am at a point I part of part of it I think was turning 30 where you just Stop giving a crap about what a lot of people think. But but a lot of it was um practice and you know constantly having to make sure that I know who I am and reevaluate what is the situation calling for? What am I being asked to do? Am I comfortable with that? And if the answer is no, I'm not doing that. You mentioned being taken seriously. And I think this is also something that a lot of people will relate to and this idea of being in an environment where people feel like they can't advance unless they change who they are. Have you been in places that felt that way? Absolutely. Absolutely, I have. And early on, I did that. I, I did sort of bow down to what was expected being a queer woman in a male-dominated workspace, you're sort of expected to just be one of the guys. And, you know, I, I did that. I didn't, I wasn't comfortable enough with myself to not, I wasn't comfortable enough with myself to go against that and say that, no, I don't want to check out women with you. I don't want to talk that way about women with you. I don't want to talk about 
my sex life with you who I've known for six hours. This is not okay. So when I was younger, I did a lot of that, just trying to find a place to fit in. And it, it took um, some challenges from my friends and from my wife to say, hey, why do you do that? Why do you change the way that you talk when you're around these people? Why do you act differently and talk about different things? That's not what you're like at home. And I'm grateful for the people I have in my life who challenge that because that's what brings me back to who I am. Yeah. I'm so curious how that overlays with confidence, right? And like who you have to be to make that choice. I'm so lucky that I have a really solid group of friends who will challenge that, who will say, no, you said you wanted to do this other thing. And now you're backing away from it. Why? Because you're nervous? Because you like this person? What is going on here? And I think it's so important to have not only a group of friends, but a group of friends who are willing to challenge you. Because if you can stand up to your friends and say, no, you know what? My dreams have changed. This is what's different. This is what I want. And this is what I'm going for. You can say that to a stranger. It's saying that to your best friend. It's saying that to your wife. It's saying that to your significant other or, you know, your, the important people to you to say that things have changed. I am not always who I thought I was. I have different dreams. And I think for me, that was a really big confidence builder, having to say that over and over again as I grew up and as I, as I was challenged and my ideas were challenged and as I found my path. Yeah, you're speaking to something so important and it makes me think about how when people are struggling with the environment it's on the one hand, like, I don't ever want to gaslight someone's experience and say, like, well, it's not it's not the environment, it's you. And then on the other hand, I feel like sometimes we have more power than we think. And it's like, are we connecting to all of that in the way that we are being in that environment? And it's like, it's a delicate thing, I think. Absolutely. Like, your perception of your environment is really important in that situation. And if there's a very thin line there you know, between, like you said, like saying, well, you know, was your response appropriate? And, you know, that's why you need that solid friend base who, you know, they have your back, you know, they're looking out for your best interest, but they're also going to call you on your bullshit. And, you know, I'm, I'm super grateful for those people that I have in my life. Yeah. And it's kind of scary when you get called on it for the first few times. Like, I don't know, for me, it can feel so confronting. But then once you get used to it, you almost like want it because you're like, oh, as soon as you point this out to me, I'm going to grow so much. Exactly. Yeah. And looking <laughs> and, you know, knowing that that growth is there, you know, knowing if you can get past, you know, this initial point of discomfort, you know, to get to that next level. You know, if you're playing video games, this is and this is not firsthand information. This is me watching other people play video games. <laughs> I don't play. Um, you know, it always seems to get a little bit harder right before you get to that next level, right? Right before you level up, you need to have this additional challenge, something something additional thrown at you that you need to overcome to get through to that larger thing. Oh my gosh, yeah. And also like holding ourselves with love when we are being called out on our stuff. You know what I mean? Because I used to be very like binary and thinking like, well, if I'm, you know, like not seeing my own limitations or how I'm getting in my own way, it means I'm bad, I'm wrong. And it's like, can you be kind to yourself even through that process of seeing like, oh, maybe it's also me. <laughs> 
Yeah, for sure. I'm still, that is probably one of the areas I'm still working at the most is showing myself love and speaking to myself with kindness and letting myself believe that I deserve good things and, you know, to relax, to not have to be running 24-7, to not have to be the perfect mom or the perfect manager or anything like that, but to give myself the grace of knowing that I'm going to make mistakes. And if I can grow from that, then I can learn from that. That is one of the hardest things to do, I think, especially for anyone who's like, identifies as like a high achiever. Yes, type A, like you tell people like (laughs) us things like that. And it's always like you reject it at first. You're like, no, that's wrong. Like I have to beat myself up in order to grow. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And and that's one of the the greatest things about, you know, some of my friends. It's like, so I said to myself, hey, dumbass. And like, no, my friend is not a dumbass. My friend is amazing and beautiful and smart talk nicer to yourself. It's like, (laughs) okay, I see where you're going. (laughs) Yeah. It's so hard when it's us. It's so, so hard. And I think this is one of like the biggest callings of personal growth is can you keep like waking up from the self-criticism and keep just trying to fall back into something that feels a little more understanding and a little more room for you to be messy. Right. And one thing that I've learned is to uh, think of myself externally, think of myself as a friend. I would never speak to any of my friends, probably even people that I didn't like very much the way that I speak to myself. And it's not motivating. It's not kind. It's not necessary. But I still default to talking to myself like a like a drill sergeant in a movie, as opposed to my best friend. And, you know, really, I'm, I'm here for me. I need to be here for me. So I need to take care of me. And that means, you know what, not calling myself names for mistakes that I make. That means modeling how I want to treat myself so that my daughter grows up seeing that. That means treating myself like I would my friends. That's not easy. It's a lot easier to be a friend to somebody else than yourself, but I'm learning. (laughs) Especially when you've lived your whole life that way and you've gotten some success, then it's even harder. Right. It's like, well, I got this way. I got to where I am now by, you know, structuring every minute of my day and sleeping four hours a night. And obviously if I keep going like that, I'll just achieve more and I'll achieve more. And it's like, but I also deserve to rest. And if it were anyone else, I would tell myself to take a day off. Yeah. Resting is so hard sometimes. Getting better at it for <laughs> sure, but I'm definitely not pro. <laughs> but like you get stuck in that loop, right? It's like you turn on Netflix and it's like, then all suddenly it's three hours later and you've watched four episodes of NCIS and it's like, oh my God, I hate myself for not doing anything in the past three hours except staring at the TV. Like, it's like, you know what? Maybe you needed that. Maybe you just needed to shut down for a little bit. (laughs) Totally. I noticed this thing my brain did, which is like, it would make me wrong no matter what I did. So Mm -hmm. like, if I did something productive, like laundry, it would say, why are you doing the laundry now? If I vegged out, be like, why aren't you doing the laundry? And I was just like, this is ridiculous. (laughs) There's no way to win against you. (laughs) (laughs) I hate that so hard. (laughs) Yeah, it's exhausting. It is. It can get better over time, but man, like... It takes sometimes, work. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes I'm just like being human is really hard. And 
it's never going to not be hard, but we can find ways to move through things that are much more supportive. Yeah. And we can get out of our own way. I think that's one of the biggest things. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about your experience in the workplace. So you talked about being queer. Are there things that you wish more people knew? So first off, I've had a lot of people, not not a lot, but enough that it seems like I should say it. Um, I've had people say that, oh, I'm not comfortable with the word queer. Whereas, the, you know, the person who's saying that they're not comfortable with it does not identify as queer. I do. That is the word that I have reclaimed and I have used to describe myself for years. I don't describe myself as a lesbian. I don't describe myself as gay often. Queer fits better. And that because I prefer women, but I also prefer people who are non-binary, who have different gender presentations. I don't want to strap myself down to any one particular definition. And queer seems to be the umbrella term that fits me best. So when people say that they're uncomfortable with that, why does that make other people uncomfortable if that's how I am describing myself? You know, I am not using that again, like, even though I am not always nice to myself and I do call myself names. When I am saying that I am a queer woman, that is not derogatory. That is me claiming my identity and asking that you respect that. And then another thing that I would like to know is not everybody feels that way. That's how I do this. That's how I exist in the world as a queer woman. Plenty of other people I know are not comfortable with that term, you know, who identify as lesbian, as gay, as, you know, other words that fit them better. And that's theirs to own and for me to be comfortable with and accept. The identity of being other in any way, right? Anything that's not, quote unquote, the norm is a very, very personal journey. And while there are a lot of common threads, nobody's story is the same as anybody else's. So, you know, I as a queer woman differ from my friend who's a queer woman. You know, we have very different life paths. And like I said, we have got some of those same threads that run through it, but it's very, very different. And what I have experienced as a queer woman, for the most part, I have not had to face a lot of discrimination but that's not true. You know, my timeline is filled with stories of elders in the in the LGBTQ community who have been discriminated against, and that is their reality. And then also there's folks who are younger than me who almost don't understand that the fight has been for so long, that the reason that they are able to be more expressive and fluid and joyful in their journey of being LGBTQ is very, very different. So I I feel like I'm sort of in that generation where we never had to fight over much, not nearly, not anything like it was in the 80s and 90s or, you know, prior to that. But also, I don't know if I would have gone to school in, you know, in grade school or younger saying that, yes, I'm okay with this. It did take me time to get there, even though I feel like it happened earlier for me than a lot of folks my age. It's it's a very different journey for, for every person. And when we disclose that, it's not to be confrontational. It's not to make it about my story and demand that you enjoy it or hear it over and over again. It's because it's a part of my identity. 
And I want you to respect that. I want you to respect my identity and who I am as a person and all of these different experiences that have helped to build me. It's so interesting how I think sometimes we like we just want to put things in boxes, you know, we like Mm -hmm. give me the like the table of contents or the list or the system because our brain likes to consume things that way. And it's like that slowing down and that getting into the nuance and taking Mm -hmm. the time to like learn different people's experiences, different people's preferences. I think we just want to like sometimes figure it out really fast, you know, and right. I don't think that's helpful sometimes. Absolutely. And like, I work with data a lot. I understand the value in being able to say, oh, it's X, Y, or Z, check the box and, you know, have that all line up in the database and not need to do anything with it. And that's great for some things. It's not great for other things. And when you're dealing with people who exist, you know, on a spectrum of any kind, or really, you know, working with a spectrum of any kind, if you try to categorize it, you're always going to lose out. And, you know, you're not only losing, you know, the people in between, but you're losing the depth of what could be. There's a lot of potential there that you're just not acknowledging. It's a loss. Absolutely. And I want to talk about confidence. We hit on it a little bit, but just in case you feel like you haven't shared this particular piece, what is your definition of confidence? My definition of confidence probably isn't what most people think of it, but for me, it's it's like an expression of energy. It's a knowledge of self. I'm getting chills. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> you know, you it's something that you have to, you know, figure out. I don't think it can be taught, but I think it can be learned. But it's, again, such a deeply personal experience. And it, it takes all of those different little things that add up to build that for you. I used to have incredible stage fright, hated to, you know, be in the spotlight for anything. And a lot of that I still do. I still, I still get a little antsy before I go present something, you know, but when I was, when I was just starting grad school, we had our first class and it was an eight, it was a four credit class over two weeks. And at the la- on the last day we had to present in front of the entire cohort that we were with. So it's about 200 people. And I was going for my master's in public health and this was Johns Hopkins. So most of my cohort were physicians and you know, I'm, I'm looking around the room at all of these people who I'm suddenly feeling like are so much more qualified than me to be there. Who am I to come in as a paramedic, you know, as, a, as somebody who likes quality improvement and data and, you know, not to really have any sort of hard credential behind me that's, that says, no, I deserve to be here. You know, who do I think I am? And I worked and I worked and I made a friend who was, you know, one of those people that is like instantly a soul connection who was there to support me. And I got up there. I was the first person to go. And my team had elected that I do all of the speaking. And I looked out over that group of about 200 doctors. And I'm like, well, we're just doing this, I guess. And I nailed it. (laughs) I nailed it. And I felt so good afterwards. And I thought at that moment that There's nothing that I'm ever going to be this nervous about again. 
if I can get up and stand in front of all of these people who I think are so much more qualified than I am, and I can give a presentation like I just did and not falter, I've got this. There's nothing I, can, I don't have. So, you know, when that comes up, when I, because absolutely I still get nervous about a lot of things. You know, I, I, I have anxiety. I deal with a lot of this. I've got, you know, and I still have to give presentations. I still have to have, you know, big meetings on bad days when, you know, my hair is really poofy and I just feel a mess. Things still go wrong. And uh, I just, I think back to that day and I'm like, you know what? This isn't 250 doctors who are intimidating me by, just by their presence. So I can do this. Oh my gosh, your definition of confidence. Just, you're a writer, right? Yes. Yeah, you do a lot of writing. Well, I I feel like that was your, it was so beautiful. And <laughs> I couldn't just, like, I could never describe it that way. And yet, like, it felt, it made so much sense. And it felt like so good to hear you talk about it that way. And I kind of, in the way that you spoke about it, it's not like something that you flip a switch or like you follow like a formula. It just, it kind of just twinkles together over time and coalesces. Yeah. It's, uh, it's that scene in Cinderella, the Disney version of the original <laughs> where she's swirling the wand where the fairy godmother is swirling the wand and all the sparkles come together to create the pumpkin carriage or Cinderella's dress. It's that cohesion. It all does come together. Yeah. You just don't know when that's going to be or what's going to be that deciding factor that locks it into place. Yeah, well, th that's so interesting. I don't know if this is your experience. For me, sometimes the deciding factor is just like not letting my brain take me down and like mm -hmm. having that moment of like, what if I just believe that I can do this thing that I'm about to try to do? Like, what if I depart from the old pattern and like, then I feel that twinkling and I feel what you're talking about. Yeah. So there's one thing that I've done at every job that I've been at. It's like one of the first things that I like to do when I settle down into a new workspace is I get to get post-its because I love post-its. I'm color coded. They're wonderful. And I draw a circle and in the middle in big block letters, I write reset. And that's my reset button. And I put that on my desk. Usually I cover it with my keyboard just because I don't want other people to see it because it's my little trick. And when things are going off the rails or I'm just, you know, I can't settle in or something, I hit the reset button. I physically touch it. This is where I am. And that's sort of a grounding thing that, you know, resets that pattern in my brain. Like, okay, you know what? Until now I've been just distracted and unable to focus and, you know, nothing is going right. Okay. Reset. And having to do that deliberate action having a physical thing to do makes a huge difference for me. So anybody who's tactile, please take that and use it. Oh, I love that. And I, I also know that you were self-described as witchy. Do you do yes. anything witchy along those lines? <laughs> like similarly to bring yourself into like a better space? So I do. And people probably don't even notice that it's witchy. I get on the ground. I sit on the ground and literally ground myself. I sit down, you know, hopefully there's not too many people around, but I've found ways to do it, you know, ar around other people. It's like, oh, I have to tie my shoe or, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you can find a reason to sit down. And I, I, I also highly recommend that. 
um, and and also just going outside and being and, and being outside in nature. Like even working in the city, you can you can go and put your hand on a tree and reconnect to the earth and to that energy and let it just cycle up and flow through you. Mm, I love trees. Yeah, me too. They're a, <laughs> they're a huge part of of everything for me. You can probably see behind me. I know people who are listening to this can't, but there's a jade plant that's 30 years old or so. And um, it's almost like having a little tree in my house. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's big. It looks big. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. Um, I just, I just trimmed it and pared it down quite a bit. So. Oh my gosh. It's it's now propagated and uh, living in many other places. <laughs> that's so cool <laughs> that you can multiply it. Yeah. They're, they're, they're really good plants. Oh my gosh, I love that. Okay, I need to ask you about stage fright tips because I know give it the people want that. Give the people what they want. <laughs> so a couple of the tips and tricks that I have learned and still use have been definitely acknowledging it as a guest. Oh, hi anxiety. You're here. Thank you for being here. Oh, hi nervousness. Oh, hi terror. And just sort of acknowledging that they're there. And once I can once I can make them sort of a body, I can put them in the audience. And they're free to watch. And they can watch me succeed. But they're nobody that I have to interact with. I know that they're there. You know, I saw them come I saw them come in, they're sitting down. Great. I'm gonna be over here doing my thing. And the other thing that I really like to do is box breathing. Breathing in for a count of five, holding it for a count of five, breathing out for a count of five, and holding that for a count of five. Doing that two or three times really helps settle just physically in that somatic sense, really helps me just sort of like settle back into my body and, you know, come back down from the two inches above where I'm vibrating and come back down to be able to handle what's coming next. Oh my gosh, that is really helpful. Just hearing you describe that breathing already made me feel a little bit relaxed. <laughs> um, okay. What about situations where your confidence quickly shrinks from its healthy equilibrium state? What are your thoughts on that? Oh, man, this happens. <laughs> um, this happened uh, last week. I had a meeting that I was supposed to run. I didn't realize that I was supposed to be the owner of the meeting. I was supposed to schedule it, invite the people, set it up and everything. I thought I was just coming in essentially as a guest. Nope. This was my meeting and I blew it. I did not have it scheduled. I didn't have it set up. I didn't even know the people who were supposed to be there. I had my content and my content only. So then suddenly I'm sitting there in an empty Zoom meeting going, okay, why isn't anybody here? This is a problem. And that you know, that definitely flipped the anxiety switch for me. And my uh, coworker came in and I'm like, I'm gonna lose my job. And she's like, that escalated quickly. What's up? And I'm like, well, I imagine this meeting. I've already messed it up. It's not happening. I think another meeting's happening. There's concurrent meetings. I don't know if this meeting exists. What am I even doing? I'm gonna lose my job. And I'm gonna be homeless. And I'm gonna be, you know, out on the street with my kid. And they're gonna take my kid. And it's just, it just spiraled. And she was like, stop. <sighs> Okay. Okay. And like, it just, sometimes you need that external, you need somebody else to hit the reset button for you or to make you realize that it's time to hit it. And once you do, then it's like, oh, okay. And once, if you can stop the spiral with 
you know, by any means necessary. If that's getting up and going for a walk, if that is getting on the ground, if that is literally hitting the reset button, take that moment. Just take the moment. Reset. Haul it back. You know who you are. You know what you're here to do. Go do it. Totally. It's also so easy to forget. Mm -hmm. Like the stakes can feel so high, especially when you get to a moment where you feel like super vulnerable, you know? Yep, absolutely. And that's when, you know, that's definitely when I employ those techniques. It's, you know, I'm starting to feel vulnerable is when I'm going to start box breathing. That's when I'm going to start to look around is, you know, is there a way I can sit on the ground? How do I get grounded in this meeting? I've, I've stood up and leaned against the wall in meetings before when I've needed to bring myself back because sitting in a chair is not cutting it. I need something more solid. And, you know, now it's, you know, with, with Zoom, it's definitely, you know, with the, with the pandemic and everything, it's definitely changed things. Like you can, you can figure out ways to do it. I've taken meetings just sitting on the ground. Even when we were in workspaces, getting up and leaning against the wall or getting up to move, you know, with the excuse of, you know, running to the restroom or anything, having some sort of motion and, and changing that enough is, is sort of enough of a, like a snap to your system that says, okay, we're not just sitting here. We're doing something cool. That feels a little bit better. And that, that allows you to recalibrate. I love how much you talk about your physical body because mm -hmm. I think we live in such in a culture that's like so disconnected from like body sensations. And I feel like there is so much growth that can happen when you just get curious and start to notice like, what am I feeling? Like what's happening in this meat suit that I am in? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All of the credit for that really goes to this amazing therapist that I had who specialized in dance therapy. And I am no dancer. I, I don't have rhythm. I mean, like I'll get up and boogie, but it's not a pretty sight. My kid loves it, but nobody else should see it. But she would constantly check in with me like, where are you feeling that? What does that feel like inside of your body? And, you know, over the time working with her, like I've really come to understand that and come in like, that's a huge part of getting to know myself and moving through that discomfort to understand where it's occurring for me and why those tangible physical things have become my go-tos for, you know, so many things, you know, I can, I can visualize all you want. I can practice mindfulness all I want. It's not going to make as much of a difference if I can physically move my body to do something to reset. Absolutely. And it's when we aren't connected to what's happening in our body, which can happen for all sorts of different reasons. And I'm definitely not an expert in this, but I know from my own experience, my mind can make a story that's very exaggerated and very stressful and if I can just bring it back to like, well, I'm just having this massive wave of discomfort in my body and like, let me just ride this wave and then like think about it and like yep. engage my analytical mind. <laughs> because right now, the things that I'm thinking are not very helpful. <laughs> yep. It's like, oh, this is not okay. I'm not feeling good about this. Wait a minute. I'm sweating. Oh, I'm really, really warm. <laughs> Why did I wear tall boots and a long skirt? when it's 70 degrees out. Okay. <laughs> and just taking that minute to check in and realize like, oh, no, I haven't drank water 
in six hours, or I haven't had anything to eat today. You know, just the, those those simple things that you know make a huge, huge difference. There's there's no denying the connection. Yeah, it's so weird how at least like in the professional spaces I've been in, there's very little talk about caring for your body and just making sure it has like its base. I mean, there is, but it's in a way of like, it's not in a way where it's revered, I think, as much as it should be. Yeah, that's that's one of the things I really like about working in healthcare quality is, you know, when I started working in it is really when we started talking about the social determinants of health and how your health is much more than your blood pressure and your pulse and your weight and your diagnoses. It's also do you have enough food at home? Do you have to worry about food? Do you have access to a grocery store? Do you have access to transportation to get to places? Do you have a stable home? You know, or are you, is your housing not secure? You know, all of these different things affect our health that we don't even really necessarily think about. When you change the angle at which you look at those things, you change that lens and it provides a very, very different picture. And you can see how things like poverty and homelessness can affect your physical health. And, you know, it, it happens in much, much smaller ways, like, like I said. Or, and like you said, like, it's not revered. It's, a lot of times it's not even acknowledged. But, you know, you've, you've seen the meme, I'm sure. It's like you're, you're basically a houseplant with more complicated emotions. Get some sun and get some water and, you know, feed yourself once every two weeks. You know, and, <laughs> and, you know, like those, that's the recipe for success. And, you know, at least working in healthcare, I think there's enough of us that see that and check in on that a little bit more often than other fields would. It's more top of mind. That makes so much sense. And I want to talk about getting in one's own way, either your experience of it or just speaking to someone who is becoming aware that they're doing that. I am so good at getting in my own way. I watched a webinar for writing earlier today for aspiring authors. And, you know, it's talking about how like, is, you know, are these some of the things that you say to yourself? Like, I'm not perfect at this, so I shouldn't do it. There's no way that I'll ever be successful at this. And it's like, you put those roadblocks up for yourself. And that's why, you know, like going back to my friend group and like having other people to challenge that, to help that you can get out of your own way, but sometimes you need a few nudges. And once, once you can do that and you can recognize when those nudges are needed, you can do them for yourself, but it's definitely not an easy thing to learn on your own. That's where, you know, your connections really come into play. I think. Yeah. Well, we are such social creatures. And I used to be this of the mind of like, oh, I'm so independent, you know, like I can do it on my own. And the more of like my own work that I do, the more I'm like, no, no, no. Like as humans, we are meant to interact with one another, be around one another, be in spaces with one another. And just by that, it can change how you feel about showing up for something. Like, I remember when I used to be like scared to negotiate salary, the most if one of the most effective strategies I found was I had a friend and I was like, I'm going to text you after I have the conversation because I would get to the moment and then say a lower number. And just knowing that I had to text this person 
And it's not like they were going to punish me or anything, but right. like that's that what made me do it. Yeah. And it, it just, it's so much more powerful. I think, I mean, I think that's why people are listening to something like this, right? Yeah. It's, there's just so much power in it. I started listening to your podcast really for that reason. And, you know, I, I'm not the kind of person who can say, oh, there's a podcast. Oh, she came out with a new episode this week. It's number 93. No, I have to rewind. I'm all, all the way back at number one. So like I've been so I've been listening to it and I did that because I was not happy with how I was showing up at work. I felt I did not feel empowered. I did not feel like myself. I'd gone through our first our first child was stillborn. And you want to talk about something that rocks your confidence, you know, losing losing your baby when they should be alive today is um is devastating. And that I didn't recognize it at the time, but that I affected my confidence in all areas. So that when I went back to work, I, you know, I felt like I had failed my child. Of course, I'm going to fail at this. Of course, I'm not going to be able to do my job. I can't, I can't even bring my baby safely into this world. And that's when I started listening. You know, I started searching for something out there to help me and, you know, help me get back to myself, help me be myself, you know, not trying to put away the fact that, you know, Oscar wasn't here, but that I knew I needed to continue on. And I couldn't do that if I felt meek and vulnerable and like the wind could knock me over. I needed to build up my inner strength again. So I started listening to your podcast and started thinking about how do I show up? How can I show up better? How can I stand up for myself? You know, well, for, and first it's how can I stand up again? And then it's how do I stand up for myself? So I, I think that having those connections, like you said, like we're such social creatures and like I was really reaching out and I had amazing friends, you know, my wife was tremendously supportive, even though they were going through the same thing I was, but you know, you still need that. You, there's more, there's more connections to be made. And I'm so thankful that I found your podcast for that reason. And at that time was, I don't know if I would have been necessarily ready for it before, or if I would have heard it the same way, but getting, getting a chance to do that and, and to like, because I, I know, and especially in those early episodes, like you were talking to me about confidence and about speaking up and finding my voice. And it was what I needed at that time. And I'm so, I know this, this answer has gone completely off track, but I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to, to, to take this and, and talk to you about this now. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that you found it, that you reached out, that we connected, that I'm getting to talk to you. I mean, my brain this whole time has been like, <laughs> I hope that she'll do another one <laughs> because I could I could talk to you for a very long time. And your perspective resonates with me so much. Like something about the way that you describe confidence, the way that you see the world, it just like makes total sense to me. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad that any, you know, <laughs> clearly I love talking. So, you know, I'm glad that anything that I can say is is resonating with folks. Absolutely. And the last thing I wanted to hit on 
before we pivot into the closing questions and seeing, well, actually I have two questions. Well, the first one is just on parenting. I'm not a parent, but so many women in this audience are. And I just want to hear blanket thoughts. It's a lot. (laughs) Oh, wow. It's a lot. So uh, my, my daughter is 18 months and let's say it's, it's 9 PM here on the East coast right now. And I was chasing her, actively chasing her through the house at 5.30 this morning when my alarm went off. So if that's any indication, once they can figure out how to bottle the energy of a toddler and sell that, that will be more priceless than (laughs) anything. Parenting is a lot. And honestly, a lot of the work that I'm putting into it is more training myself than teaching her anything. But when I, when I look at her and I think about the world out there and how she's growing up with, you know, one parent when there were two of us when she was born and everything that she's going to have to face out there, I want her to have that fire unextinguished and I want her to be wholly herself. And she's not going to know how to do that if I don't show if I don't model that. So I want her to have all the autonomy she can. I want her to challenge things. You know, I want her to ask questions and I know what I'm asking for. Like she's already given me a really good preview of the uh, trouble I am asking for. But you know, like if she, you know, when she's upset that I am changing her diaper, I'm like, this is one of those non-negotiable things. There's not going to be many in your life. This is one of them. She's 18 months. She has no idea what non-negotiable means, but I'm, I'm training myself, you know, and I'm, I'm speaking gentler to myself about myself. Like, I'm sorry, baby, mama made a mistake. I'm sorry. Are you okay? Okay. Sounds good. Let's go. And I'm learning how to see myself through her eyes. And it's given me a whole new perspective on the influence that you can have on a kiddo and just what you can learn from them too. It's wild. You see her little brain working and she is just wholly in the moment. She doesn't care that the laundry is still sitting in the basket. (laughs) She, She doesn't care that I haven't wiped down the high chair yet. You know, she is playing. She is doing this thing right now. She is reading this book upside down on her tiny futon. And that's all that matters at that moment. And she's teaching me how to be present. And hopefully I am teaching her that you should be unequivocally yourself. Oh my gosh. I love both of those things so much. And like being in the moment, I think we get so stuck in our own crap. I do. (laughs) I know I do. Yeah, me too. It's just like you have these moments that kind of like bring you back and it's so easy to fly away from them though. And then you just come back and you come back. And being around a kid and just watching how they interact with the world is, is, is amazing for that. Yeah. No, I'm going to eat this crayon and that is the most (laughs) important thing in the world. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. They're so uninhibited too. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> no sense of fear. 
no sense of self-preservation, which is a terrifying combination. <laughs> yeah. But, oh man, do I envy that sometimes. Yeah. Well, we need droplets of that, you know, for the moments where we are getting in our own way. Because I do think there is that streak of recklessness that when channeled in a good way can really help you be brave. Yes, absolutely. I love that. Okay, last question before we pivot. And you may have shared this with your story of the presentation, but is there anything else you want to share that you feel really proud of? Not like achieving, but growing into professionally or personally? So when I looked at this question in the notes that you sent me, and I looked at it again today, I drew a complete blank, which is weird for me, because obviously, I think a lot, I talk a lot, I write a lot. But it was just crickets. And I was like, I know I'm proud of things. <laughs> Where are they? <laughs> like, like flipping through the files in my brain. I can't find it. So I'm, I'm asking my friends, I'm like, quick, what am I proud of? And they're like, really? And they start reminding me of things that I've said. And I'm like, oh, that's right, resilience. I am very proud of the work that I have done on that deep, intense, personal level to be as resilient and as passionate as I am. I have spent a lot of really uncomfortable hours with myself. I have been through a lot of grief. I've been through a lot of tragedy to the point where sometimes I feel like I sound much more like a character in a book than a person. You know, I've lost my parents. I've lost my baby. I've lost my wife. But I'm here. I didn't cause any of those things to happen. I didn't want any of those things to happen. And there's been times that I didn't want to continue after those things happened because they're so devastating. But I'm here. And it took time. And it took a lot of that discomfort to get to the point where I can be comfortable in saying that I am here. And since I am, well, I'm going to say something about it. I don't know if I ever had any other option than putting one foot in front of the other because of who I am and, you know, how I'm built and how I was raised. You know, it's never been a question of if, it's always been a question of when and how, but never, it's, it's never been, you know, am I going to make it through this? Sometimes it's been, I don't know if I want to because my heart is just in a million shattered pieces, but I'm here. Thank you for sharing that. Are there pieces of yourself that you uncovered through that process, like traits or just things in you that you had never seen before? Whew. Yeah. Yeah. After my wife died, I realized that there's been really no point in my life that I have been unpartnered as an adult and having to navigate the world solo is, I don't want to say terrifying, but it's definitely new and not comfortable. But it's also very illuminating. And I'm sort of discovering just how much I'm capable of. And how much that if I don't want to do something, I don't have to do something. And that's been a really unexpected point of freedom that I, I feel like my obligations are far fewer than they ever have been. If I don't feel like watching what I thought I was going to watch tonight, I don't have to. 
if I don't feel like cooking what I had on the menu for tonight, I don't have to. And that's been very interesting. <laughs> Still working on a lot of that, for sure. Thank you for sharing so much of yourself and your life and opening up about all these things. I think it's better now than it ever has been, but like people don't want to talk about therapy, don't want to talk about what they're going through. I have never really subscribed to the idea of never let them see you sweat. If I've worked hard on something, I want you to know that I worked hard on it. I'm not hiding that because I want you to see the grit and the perseverance and the work that I put into something. That's what makes it mine. That's what makes it important. You know, I didn't just jot a note and it bloomed into this amazing thing with no work. If you're going to, you know, have anything that I have done, you're going to know the story behind it because that matters. Well, that's like why I love like talking about people's careers and then going into what's happening outside of that, you know, that limited space and that limited part of ourselves that we show because we bring our whole human, well, we try to bring our whole human selves and like things are happening and yeah. these things impact how we show up, our growth, everything. And I feel like it gets so compartmentalized and it's like part of the reason it's hard <laughs> is because we're, you know, life is throwing shit at us. Oh, yeah. This is a little a little off topic, but not not totally. So my father had Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS, and that is what got me into public health. That's what got me interested in it when I was 14 years old. That year, I did a fundraising run for ALS research. And, you know, like I said earlier, like I changed my major to public health. I looked into that and, you know, I've, I've been in healthcare quality you know, trying to make the patient experience and the provider experience better for everybody. A couple of weeks ago, when I was leaving the vaccine clinic that our health center has been running, I realized it's right across the street from the stadium where I did that fundraising run 21 years ago. It blew my mind. It was literally a full circle. It was just unbelievable that you know, like I remember being in that stadium, raising money and wanting so badly, so badly to make a difference in these people's lives. And now I'm in the same zip code, making a difference in a lot of people's lives. That is so cool. It's so weird, but it's so amazing. Yeah. And just that fulfillment that you feel is such a gift. So special. So many people are searching for that, you know? So do you want to share your contact information or your writing where people can find you? Sure. My blog is at queermamarising.com. I believe my email is on there, but if not, my name's kind of long. It might go better in the show notes than me just saying it. Yeah, I'm, I'm so happy to be contacted and I'd love to have more readership. I've definitely got some projects in the pipeline. I don't have anything other than my blog published yet, uh, but that is definitely the goal. Yeah. And also let us know. I'm sure me and the community would love to support your writing. Yeah, absolutely. And so come back when there is something. Yeah, for sure. One of the things that, I'm, that I want to write is a book about Oscar and about, you know, queer pregnancy loss. That was one of the things that I was really searching for after we lost Oscar and didn't really find very much. And, you know, there's that old trope of if it's not there for you, you make it. And that's definitely one of the goals. 
Oh, that's so awesome. Have you started or is it still in the ideation phase? I've got notes on it. It's definitely something that's going to be more intense than I can do like in the evenings after work. So I'm focusing on some smaller projects right now. But yeah, I mean, we'll see if I can get a vacation this summer and, and make some headway on it. So exciting. And we'll link your writing below your blog. And we're going to do the closing questions. So we have three. The first one is just an open space to share literally anything that's important to you. It could be a message for listeners. It could be social justice related, just something you want to share that I haven't asked about. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to take that opportunity to say two things. And one of them is get to know people's stories. You know, this day and age, we're so quick to just, Hey, how are you? Good. How are you? And, and, and go on with our day. But it, you know, it's those connections. It's getting to know people that makes all the difference. And that'll help you in work. It'll help you making friends when you move to a new place with a baby and you don't really know anybody and you feel really awkward talking to somebody in the Home Depot parking lot, but you're going to do it anyway. It's important to, you know, put yourself out there just a little bit and, and, and ask people for their stories. And the other thing is, whether you're a mom or not, whether you've dealt with grief and tragedy or not, whether you're currently working or not, please, 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 please try to take a few moments for yourself at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day. You start your day and end your day for you. It's hard. It is not easy to remind myself when I hear Lucy in her crib in the other room kicking me awake to take those first few minutes and just breathe and just feel the blankets Put your feet on the ground, feel the ground beneath your feet, put your robe on, feel how soft it is, and then go get her. You know, it's it's can be hard at the end of the day when it's just like, I'm done, I am tired, I just want to go to bed. But to just give yourself those few minutes, do a quick five-minute yoga session on YouTube, snuggle up in a blanket, cuddle your sweetheart, cuddle your dog. My dog likes to stick her butt up against me when I climb into bed. She's a 40 pound lead weight. But do something that lets you focus on yourself just for a few moments to start and end your day. That's going to make so much difference in how you feel in between. I love that so much. And for the second to last question, it's about the title of the show. What does the art of speaking up mean to you? For me, the art of speaking up means finding your voice and owning it. When I walk into a room, you know that I am there. I don't have to announce myself, but I carry myself with the confidence of somebody who knows themselves. It's not swagger. It's not bravado. It's an understanding that I know exactly who I am at the end of the day, at the beginning of the day, and at every point in between. Whether I'm feeling anxious, whether I'm nervous whether my confidence feels shaky or not, I'm still me and I'm still here and I'm still going to find that voice. Oh, I love that so much. Okay, last question. This is inspired by why I started the show, which is um, this time in my career where I felt very alone and things were so hard and I did not feel confident. And I love to give this last space to the guests to speak to anyone who isn't feeling confident or is just like trying to take their confidence to the next level. 
if there's one little thing, just one, that makes you pull your shoulders back a little bit and hold your head up a little bit higher, do that. If that's wearing Doc Martens, I wore green Doc Martens for four years before I bought a pair of heels. Do that. If that's wearing heels, do that. If that's wearing a dress or if that's wearing a pantsuit, do that. If that's makeup or no makeup. I didn't shave my legs for like six years and I still wore skirts. Do that. Do what's going to make you feel confident. What's going to make you feel comfortable. Because if you are uncomfortable in your own skin, you're going to have a lot harder time feeling confident. But if you can feel at home in your body, whatever it takes, if you can just start with one little thing, one, whether that's, you know, stretch, stretch your hands out before you sit down at the computer. Or, you know, if you're a taller person than me, touch the top of the door when you're walking in. One little thing that you do just for you to make yourself feel a little bit more confident and then just, just go for it. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in. I loved this conversation so much. I love when Mariana talked about pressing the reset button and like taking that moment of just stepping back and reassuring yourself or recentering yourself or giving yourself whatever you need because it really made me think about how powerful we are and how sometimes we can forget that. And it can just be these brief moments of like stepping back and pausing and reminding ourselves that we absolutely have what is needed to get through the moment. It is those brief moments that for me over time cultivate the change and cultivate the confidence and help you become that stronger, bolder version of yourself. I loved everything that she shared and I'm so grateful that we connected. And if you want to connect with her, check out her blog, Queer Mama Rising. I'm going to link it below and I'll also put her contact information in case you want to get in touch with her. And I want to thank you for being here. If you want to say hello to me, if you want to learn a bit about what it's like to work with me one-on-one, check out my contact information and my website down below. I would love to hear from you. I would love to connect with you. And thank you for being here. I'm excited for you to tune in next week. I have more solo content coming. And with that, I'm going to sign off, wish you a magical day, and I'll catch you next week. All right, bye.